I speak nothing but facts, man. Like, I swear I do. Like, I think people look at me like I'm this crazy person when I'm speaking about things that are contingent upon how our society treats black people and how our society treats us even still to this day in our modern time where things are supposed to be on a leveled, semi-leveled playing field. I think people think I'm crazy when I be talking about this stuff. I'm really not. Um, it's weird that I'm starting this way, but it, it's funny. I was telling, I was talking to my brother and my cousin. I was talking about basketball, of course. That's what we talk about on, you know, on a general basis. And I alluded to the the responsibility and the position of the coach. Um, and as you know, you know, there are not very many black coaches, you know, in the NBA, um, or for the black coaches that are in the NBA, they're typically, they're not giving, they're not given the, they're not given, I guess, the opportunity to redeem themselves as, uh, as, you know, a white coach would be given. But, you know, that's neither here and there. Um, but I was telling them the story about Golden State and how they came to ascension in regards to, you know, the last, you know, five, six years where they were like the top tier team. Like they were the team to beat. Like they were the team to um, that basically was just a powerhouse in regards to just gameplay, um, excitement, entertainment, the way that they play, their their all stars, everything like that. So what a lot of people don't know is before that team came to be the Golden State team that we know as of now, for the exception of this year because they were trash, but um, before they before that, they weren't even looked as a as a formidable team um, for like almost forty something years before the team that you see now that has been assembled. But um, I was talking to my brother and was saying, you know, before Steve Kerr was a coach, it was um, Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson had been the coach there for four years, I want to say. And he was actually the coach um, who put Golden State on the map. Before him, Golden State wasn't even making the playoffs. They weren't even making it into the top, the top eight, top, you know, the top 10 teams in the Western Conference Finals or the Western Conference division as a whole. They were that terrible. But because of his coaching and him fostering the need to develop young players into all-stars, because if you think back where when Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and all of these guys that, you know, are now superstars in the NBA, um, they were drafted low draft picks. They were considered mediocre players um, and deemed ultimately to be players that weren't going to sustain an NBA career. And now you look at them now, you know, Steph Curry is one of the most prolific scores in the NBA and has changed ultimately the landscape of basketball because of the three point shot. Um, but like I said, that's ne neither here or there. Um but back to what I was saying, Mark Jackson, um, former NBA player, um, black coach, of course, um, he assembled this team 
based on draft picks that he thought was going to congeal into a team that was going to be formidable in the playoffs and in the regular season. And he accomplished that. And he's, he was extremely successful in that. So the question after that was, well, if he was so successful in bringing this team together and actually getting them into the playoffs and getting them far into the playoffs, um, why was he fired? He was fired because one, he wanted he wanted more stake in the organization of Golden State. He wanted to be the president of basketball operations, which I would have deemed to be fair. Um, granted, the fact that one um, Golden State wasn't making the playoffs before until he came along and you know um, put the team on the map. Um, and two, I, I think he did his due diligence in you know being able to secure that position. And because that wasn't happening and because there was an issue with management and ultimately coming down to the fact of, you know, we don't think you to be a fit coach because you're not getting Golden State to the next level. And, you know, typically in organizations and industries like that, they have to have an excuse as to what is going on and what guarantees have not been met in regards to the basis of which people are coaching. He was fired. And then after him being fired, Steve Kerr, who was an executive at the time, was hired on as the new coach. And of course, Steve Kerr comes in his first year, and that's when they win, you know, the NBA um, playoffs and NBA championship, of course. So now you're looking at four years of Mark Jackson putting in all this work, um, basically carrying the team to what we know as today and ultimately getting no recognition for the team being what they were, but it all going to Steve Kerr, a white coach, right? So why am I telling this story to you guys? Why am I, why am I, you know, specifying it in this way, specifying the race of the coaches and specifying um, just the diligence of Mark Jackson as a coach putting in the work and putting in more time than Steve Kerr, but Steve Kerr ultimately getting to the goal because of the players, not so much the coaching. Why am I saying all of this? I'll tell you. That that epitomizes the American society, the Amer uh, the United States as we know it in regards to black people and white people. It encompasses everything that we ultimately sustain when we think of America, what we think of the United States, when we think of how black people have been treated um, in this country in which we foster and um, ultimately care about because a lot of us grew up in the United States, in America, American standards, ultimately seeking the same aspirations and dreams as the white person. And the white people who live here, as far as the American dream encompassed in regards to things that we want, ambitions that we hope to get to, and um, ultimately just sustaining a life of success and meaning and um, adoration for um, good things and positive vibes, right? So I tell that story as a metaphor to say that that's how black people have been treated. We have diligently worked hard for 
hundreds of years as slaves. We have worked hard for hundreds of more years as people have been segregated, people have been discriminated against, people who have been given um, misfortunate, you know, misfortune in regards to the opportunities that um, are that were limited to us. Um, hundreds of years before that, um, we have been placed and blackballed and redlined and everything else in between to keep us from upward mobility, to keep us from um, meeting the standard of everybody else and being able to be considered the status quo in regards to the things that we're able to do as people, as human beings, just as anybody else. And yet, there is somebody that comes along who's just given the opportunity and is deemed successful off of the backs of somebody else who did the groundwork before you even came. That's why I tell that story. Black people are Mark Jackson and a lot of white people and a lot of people who have been um, deemed privileged in this life and in the United States and in America and in the American standards in regards to the aspirations they are able to easily um, attain. There's Steve Kerr. They're winning the NBA championship time after time, and they're going to be given the credit. Mark Jackson is not going to be looked at as anything. And that sums up our American society in regards to how black people feel despite their diligence, despite their groundwork, despite everything that we have withheld in regards to creating this nation and still not get the the recognition and not get the accolades as Steve Kerr winning the NBA championship with a team that was already put together by Mark Jackson. Do you guys get that? You guys get that metaphor? And I only say it because because it's true. It's um, a lot of people will not admit to it. A lot of people think that America was paved on the backs of, you know, this, that and other people. But it wasn't. Slaves built this country. Black slaves built this country. Nobody wants to say it. It's taboo to everybody, but it's true. And I only use it synonymous to entertainment because a lot of our entertainment that we get there is an underlying racism to it, honestly. And that's just how it is. But I just wanted to throw you guys out with that metaphor just because I thought it was pertinent to what I'll be talking about today in regards to how people ultimately use black people as, as ultimately just placeholders for the things that they want in their society, as opposed to not including black people in that society, but using them to create a society where black people are more of bargaining chips than they are people who are included at the table. So ultimately, that's what I'm going to talk about. But I'm going to let you guys listen to some um, James Baldwin. Um, he's one of my favorite speakers, one of my favorite people and just 
history in general just because of the things that he talked about the adversity that he overcame and just uh just an enlightened mind um no matter who you are black white anything he's just just an intelligent guy um so i'm gonna give you some bars from him and then i'm gonna get started i can't be a pessimist because i'm alive to be a pessimist means that you have agreed that human life is an academic matter so i'm forced to be an optimist i'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive but The Negro in this country, the future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. It is entirely up to the American people and our representatives, it is entirely up to the American people whether or not they're going to face and deal with and embrace this stranger and they malign so long. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, north and south, because it's one country, and for a negro, there's no difference in the north and the south. There's just a, you know, a difference in the way they, in a way they castrate you. But, that's, but the fact of the castration is the American fact. If I'm not a nigger here, and you invented him, and you, the white people, invented him, then you've got to find out why. Okay. So, just some wise words from James Baldwin. Um, like I said, um, this is pertinent to what it is that I want to talk to you guys about today. Um, in regards to how everybody, everybody doesn't give a damn about black people and their fight, but love, absolutely love pandering to black people when it's in need of elections, when it's in need of votes, when it's in need of something that is going to ultimately assimilate to the interest of those that are in power not so much to the people who it should matter to not so much to the people black people that it should be catering to because we as black people live in the society as any other person but yet we're only used in instances where we're, where we do not benefit from the interests of the people who are in power, but are a byproduct of its negligence and how black people seemingly are stalemate in a country where there is plenty of opportunities to be better and to be able to get an equal piece of the pie. And yet we're still trying to figure out why that has not happened yet, right? So that's just a prelude into what I want to talk about today. Um, just going to be covering stuff from more so a metaphorical aspect. Um, I want to cover entertainment. I want to cover voting. Um, I want to cover um, just the, the general basis of how people 
empower white people, people of this country who deem black people to only be important for interest, not for the not for their betterment, but for the own, but only for the benefit benefit of those who are in power, those who are white, those who are rich. Right. I want to talk about that. I think that's important. I think it's important because it not only it not only categorizes the racism in our country, but it shows that there's so many different vantage points to our discrimination and to our and to the detriment of black people in our society and in the American culture that it's almost impossible to feel like there's going to be any type of upward mobility for black people. And yet here we are still fighting the good fight. The resilience, the, the miraculous um, resolve that black people have, despite all of these, all of these triggers ultimately aimed at us and ready to shoot us. It's seemingly, it's seemingly a battle that we have not lost. And it is seemingly a battle that, yes, the opponent is formidable, but they have no edge over how to dictate the battle that we're in. And that's to say that the, the, the society that we live in in regards to um, eradicating laws that pigeonhole black people, um, amending um, things that ultimately don't work in the favor of black people, um, ultimately um, alleviating laws and ramifications and stipulations of things that have been ingrained in our country to benefit only white people need to be changed in order to benefit everybody or if not benefit everybody not um, if not to benefit everybody equally then to not be in place at all to where everybody is on an equal surface everybody is on a leveled playing field and that's ultimately um what I seek. That is ultimately what I talk about. That is ultimately the thing that inspires me um, to do the things that I do and to talk in um, in reference to all of these things. And it empowers me. It really does. It empowers me. It should empower you too. Um, to live in a world where you can truly be equal to the person standing next to you despite their color, despite where they come from, despite um, their home life, their family, their socioeconomics, um, their education, any of those things. And yet we still be equal together in this society. So in saying that, I'm going to give you the quote for today. Society is suggestive in the sentiment that black people can only be a mantle or even a fixture in the embellishment of this country. We are identified as a consolation prize for the first for the first trophies for the first place trophies we have secured, yet deemed a mantle to withhold something we ultimately worked for. We are seemingly flickering and or blown out light bulbs that are disposable and in need of change. 
Enlightenment ensues while the ethereal light that illuminates the room is withheld by the beautiful fixture that accentuates the luminosity of the light in which we exhaust. This is America summed up. Black people have created and held up this country to only be considered spot holders for a society to assume a power that it could not it could never withhold because it was too heavy, a power too bright for society to withstand. Yet black people being the mantle and fixture is deemed too demeaning. Think about it. And that's my quote. And like I said, I'm going to speak in metaphors. So. The mantle and the fixture. That's what we're considered as in this society. We're not considered anything. We're not considered trophies on the mantle. We're not considered light within the fixtures or um, within the chandeliers. We're considered just the holder. And we're considered the holder because when you when you are not the the center of attention. And the chandelier, the lights and the the glossiness and the things that are, are surrounding the lights. Those are the center points of the fixture, right? The mantle, whether that be like, you know, a shelf that holds things or, you know, near a fireplace on top of, you know, on top of the fireplace where things are put there for display. The mantle is not necessarily the the focal point. It's the things on it. It's the pictures. It's the trophies. It's, you know, the things that are deemed most important. And that's why they're being put to display. The fixture means nothing without the light, right? Without the, the luminosity of the, the light bulbs or, you know, whatever fixture you, you know, you seemingly have. Black people are looked as as those things. And yet, without them, the focal point of what it is that you're trying to display, the focal point of the light in which you are trying to uphold cannot be held without the mantle or the fixture. American society cannot exist without the hard work and labor and the death and the uprising and the revolution of black people, black culture, black lives. It seemingly does not exist. America does not exist as it does today without those components, without those people. And that's what I meant in reference to that quote and into that metaphor in regards to the the mantle and the fixture, the the light and the trophies. Um, but yeah, um, it it is the irony of our country is overwhelming in regards to the things that we are made to believe about a country that exists only because of the hard work and labor of people who seemingly were not from here. And now there's this great awakening for black people and people in general 
Um, we are trying to revolutionize our country yet again in order to seek better and more equality um, in matters of racial tensions, racial injustice, social injustice, and things of that nature. We are at the cusp of doing that. And yet, this was a fight that has been going on for as long as time could permit. And here we are again, the same juncture, the same reference, the same point. And we're still fighting for the same things. So it's funny that we can sit here and fight for these things and they be deemed subject matterless to the people who think and who pick and choose what matters, right? But when elections roll around, all of a sudden, every single thing that the, the colored person thinks to be important is important to us. Because we're in politics and I am trying to get this black person's vote. And I am trying to get this Hispanic person's vote. I am trying to get the minority vote. So I am able to get into office and do whatever things I want to do in regards to my own personal interests who have nothing to do with your communities, um, with your livelihood, your children, none of that. But I will pander to you in these in these debates, I will pander to the black community. I will pander to the Hispanic community. I will pander to all of these people who I can get to vote for me because I have things that I want to do because that is a position of power. Right? It's, it's always going to be the conversation of the shepherd versus the sheep. Are you sheep or are you the shepherd? Do you just follow? Do you follow suit when people are talking of things that may um, that may incite your your own passions and your own positivity and things that you want to see to be better? And do you fall for it because somebody is speaking about it? Or are you a person who can be a lot more critical in your thinking in regards to the things that people promise and the things that are actually actualized in a society where we need things to be done, not things to be said? Are you the sheep or are you the shepherd? Ask yourself that question and see what you come up with in regards to the things that you are deemed suitable to follow and the things that you are not so much in agreement with or in agreement with i'm sorry um and that's really just how it goes but the first point i want to make in regards to my brownie points of course is i want to talk about entertainment i want to talk about sports i love sports most of American people love sports. Most people around the world love sports. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, soccer, football, any of those sports, baseball. It does not matter. People love to watch sports. People love to be entertained. People love 
to see the prowess of people's athleticism um, in regards to the craft in which these people have been working years um, to perfect and master. People love sports. So why am I talking about sports right now in regards to race and black people? It's very simple, actually. Think about think about the the creation and the and the origin of sports as entertainment. If you think and date back to way back when, when sports and entertainment was predominantly um, predominantly white people doing these sports. It didn't matter if it was baseball, didn't matter if it was football, didn't matter if it was basketball and any other sports, didn't matter if it was hockey, any of these sports, um, that would be considered, you know, entertainment for, you know, most Americans. They're at one point in time were predominantly white people playing these sports and making a wage doing, and in some cases didn't even make a wage, but um, we're playing these sports. Now, if you look in our modern day now, the ethnicities of a lot of the, the sports that are being played now is quite different, quite different the, um, in this day and age. Um, I'm going to hit you guys with some statistics real quick just because I, I want to kind of factualize what it is that I'm saying right now. So in, in these sports, I'm going to kind of break down um, for just the sake of my um, just for the sake of my argument in regards to what I want to allude to um, for black people in sports. So right now in Major League Baseball. There is about 43% of baseball players, professional baseball players in the MLB, in the MLB that are African-American. Uh, basketball, which has the highest number of black people in it, um, has 80% African-American um, professional basketball players in the M NBA. For football, 70% um, African-American. So those are probably the three major um, sports in America, right? So those are quite a bit. So yes, baseball is probably you know a little a little under half. Basketball is very high, and football is very high as far as um, the ratio of black African American um, players in comparison to white players. Why is that? Why is something that is deemed entertainment with that high of a ratio of athletes? I can tell you why. Back in slavery, what did white people do in their downtime? They would create games. They would create means of entertainment. And it was typically at the torture and the agony of black people. So it was entertainment for white people, right? So if we create these games and we make black people do all of these things in order to entertain us, 
then we can keep them around for at least that entertainment. The silver lining for sports entertainment and there being so many colored people in these sports is for that. To entertain the white owners, to entertain all of the people who sell tickets, to entertain and pander to these audiences of people who care not my hard work, who care not where I come from, who care not how much um, how much I've had to go through in order to get to this spot or to get to this opportunity. It's entertainment. I care nothing of their lives. I care nothing about what they do. When I turn on the TV, I am watching somebody I admire solely based on their athleticism and their physical abilities. I don't care when they start talking about things that they're taking a stance on, right? Because if you notice, a lot of the the um, the entertainment, the deemed inter entertainment for sports, now they're taking stances. NBA players are wearing um, racial uh, racially charged slogans in regards to equality and um, social injustice on their jerseys. NBA players are speaking out. Football players are kneeling in regards to police brutality. WNBA players doing the same thing because they want to see a change. They want to see something happen in regards to these things changing. So it not only, you know, benefits um, people that our society has catered to all its life, and through all of its origin, but benefit black people as well. But we don't want to hear them do that, right? We don't care about them talking about these things. We don't care about them talking about Breonna Taylor and her murderers being brought to justice. We don't care about you guys talking about George Floyd and his perpetrators being brought to justice. We don't care about that. We want you to dribble a basketball. We want you to jump real high and dunk it. That's what you do. You're black. That's what you're that's your job, right? There is an underlying racism to that. There is an underlying stigma to having all of these black athletes who are talented and blessed beyond belief, who are also extremely hard workers and diligent at their craft. But we don't want them to do anything more than to entertain me. I don't want them to talk about racism. I don't want them to talk about social injustice. I don't want them to talk about Black Lives Matter. I don't want them to talk about equality. I want them to do the thing that I am paying money. If you are a ticket holder, I mean, right now people can't be in stadiums. But back then, it's just like paying money to do this. I don't want them to do anything else but to do the thing that I am seeking entertainment from, right? It's, it's crazy because that's ultimately how black people in our society are looked at if they are considered quote unquote successful. The only way they can be successful 
is if they are athletes. That is their only avenue in regards to making money and to having mm, a bit of power and a bit of voice in our society where they have no voice, they have no power. Right? And that that's what it's that's what it's come to. I think about I think about that aspect all the time. Me growing up and seemingly have it in my mind that the only way that I was going to make it out of poverty was playing sports. I could probably, probably nine out of 10 black people that I know, they had the same sentiment, the same cognition in regards to, these are the only things that I can do to be successful in my life and to have a say and to have a voice and to have opportunities would only be through my athleticism, through my physical prowess in regards to the things that I can do in specific sports. That's the only way I would make it out. If I'm not making it out from that, the only way I'll get money and be semi-successful in an illegitimate way is selling drugs. Those are the two things that came to my mind as a young person. I know it came to my mind, or came to the minds of those around me who come from the same conditions as I've come from in the same environments and the same walk of life and livelihood in regards to poverty and impoverished homes and um, just things of that nature. So I worked really hard to become as best I could at basketball. And at some point in time, I felt legitimately good enough to where that would have been a plausible um, opportunity for me. At some point in time, I felt that way. But now, you know, being older and seeing that and seeing that dream not materialize at all, education was the thing for me. I realized that I could I could be successful in education. I realized I had the intelligence and the smarts to be able to endure education despite the stereotypes of black people being dumb and lazy and being uneducated and unintelligent, right? Think about think about that. People don't look to black people as as a point of reference for their voice and their intelligence and their wisdom. I only look to black people to entertain me. I don't care about their cause. I don't care about what matters to them. I care when LeBron James dribbles a basketball. I care when he dunks it on somebody and makes the crowd go wild because of what he can do in the basis of this court, in the parameters of this gym or of this stadium. Outside of that, once that game is done, I care nothing about what he thinks. I care nothing about what he, you know, means as a black person in society. And that's ultimately what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the underlying racism and Things like entertainment, things that we look to to entertain us. 
Because I can tell you right now, I'm pretty sure every black person who is a professional athlete is educated, is smart, has wisdom, and can speak on a lot of the things that we are trying to fight today in regards to police brutality, in regards to racial injustice, in regards to social injustice, in regards to black people being killed, black people being hunted down, black people being um, the source of anger and frustration um, in regards to the privilege and the, the equity that some white people and people in our society don't want to see happen. I can tell you that. But that's where we are in our society in regards to that. And I just wanted to bring those statistics to you because there's a lot of black people in sports like that. There's a lot. But had you noticed, um, there's not a lot of black coaches. I don't think there's any black owners unless they're part of an ownership group or part of a group that owns um, an NBA team or franchise. There is not very many black execs or people that work in the front offices of these um, industries, these corporations in regards to entertainment and sports because those positions are allocated to who? And I don't have to say it. Everybody knows. Because as a black man, if I don't make enough money to even be remotely close to owning any of these things or having ownership as a whole then how can I have power? It's a, it's a question for you guys. It's food for thought to think about um, in regards to all of this. I promote black people having ownership. I promote black people being able to have access to any and everything that they possibly can get to any and every opportunity that can be attained. And there, there is going to be loopholes, there's going to be blockades, there's going to be um, electrified fences, there's going to be um, barbed wire everywhere that black people go because that's seemingly the struggle and the challenge that we have in regards to finding anything that would be remotely considered upward mobility. We find every loophole that we possibly can in order to find some success to find some light at the end of the tunnel. And that's sad that we have to beat ourselves up and be in pain and agony in order to see one step in front of the other, in order to move a centimeter, an inch. While there's people out in the world who can gracefully have the gates open to them who don't have to climb, who don't have to defeat obstacles. And they seemingly have it just because of who they are and what they look like and the color of their skin. That's the society we live in, um, unfortunately. And But 
like I said, that doesn't discourage me as a black person and it shouldn't discourage any other and it shouldn't discourage anybody else. Because we always arise to the occasion and we always arise to the challenge. And we welcome it with open arms. And we do what we must in order to survive. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, survival. What am I doing in my life? What am I doing in my livelihood? What am I doing in my conscious mind? What am I doing in regards to my voice? What am I doing in my community, in my neighborhoods? What am I talking about amongst my family and my friends in regards to all of these racial tensions and all of these you know, situations where black people are made to decide how the country and how the world views us. What are we doing? And I know I'm coming off a little philosophical, but that's how I'm feeling today. I've been reading. But <laughs> um, we have to ask ourselves that question. That's going to be my brownie point um, in regards to this whole episode is... What are you doing in your conscious mind and in your conscious actions and in the midst of the parameters in which you have control and power and you have a voice? What are you doing to ultimately better the opportunities that you have in a world that may be against you? that may want to see you fail, that may want you killed. As a black person or as any other race that would be considered the minority, what are you doing to, to change things? That's a question for everybody. That's a question for myself in regards to what we're talking about um, and it goes back to what I said. Are you a shepherd or are you sheep? Do you succumb to the pandering when people in power are trying to ultimately gain more power? Or are you trying to gain more information? What are you doing? Think about it. Think about the things that you are doing in order to ultimately better this society for others or to bring this society into more darkness, into more racism, into more um, just pandemonium in regards to the fight that we are trying to fight. Are you making it easier? Or are you making it a lot more challenging? Stuff you got to think about. I, I, I mean, like I said, I can't make people read up on these things. I can't make people. Uh, I can't make people think for themselves. I can't make people ultimately become educated on things that they probably should read up on and be a little more woke about. I, I feel like there is no excuse for it. There is no excuse to seemingly be sleep when you should be awake when you should be vigilant, when you should be adhering 
to the things that are right and um, and um, abolishing the things that are wrong with our society. But like I said, it's it, it's ultimately your choice. But for me, once you have gained enlightenment like I have for myself, I can't go back on that. I don't want to go back on that. I I have lived proudly as a as as a black man for 34 years. I can't go back on that. All I can do is move forward and move in that pride and move in in the in the grace and the the eloquence in which I speak in which I voice my opinions in which I exude my intelligence in which I um, exude who I am and what I mean to this world and what I hope to leave as a stamp in regards to the world that I would like to see when my children get older and I'm no longer here. And I think about that stuff. It's... Um, it's an existential thing because my life matters none if I'm not putting forth the effort to make the lives of other people matter. The lives of my family, the lives of my children, the lives of those um, that I mentor, the lives of those um, in which I work with, my colleagues, my friends. I'm not doing my due diligence if I'm not having conversations with them about things that matter in our society. I'm not. I'm ultimately sheep. If all I'm doing is following the trends, if all I'm doing is following behind others, I'm not doing my own research. I'm not doing my own study. I'm not doing, um, I'm not coming up with my own connections and I'm not interconnecting and intertwining these different thoughts and these different reasonings and this rationale to create what um, I would deem as a synopsis of my own thoughts and feelings in regards to race, in regards to racism, in regards to um, how I feel about the pandering that happens to black people only for the interests of white people and people of power. I would not be doing my society and my people a service if I didn't find myself thinking and find myself criticizing and being crucial about a world that has made it a point to exclude me. I'm not I'm not doing justice if I'm not fighting that fight. Period. So this is how I do it. I speak up. And I do whatever it is that I can to change. what, To change the things that I have a hand in. I can't change everything because I don't have control of everything. I have control of certain things and the things that I don't have control over... Um, all I can do is find opportunities, windows, and innuendos into those things. And from there, I work. And I work really hard. And it's not to 
it's not to the sentiment of just black people, but it's to the sentiment of all people because I am a person of all people. It has nothing to do with my race. It has to do with my humanity. It has to do with the humanity of others. Skin and skin color are a figment of imagination and are only brought to light when there's a cluster of us that are being singled out or excluded from things that other people are not. I myself as a black person have not made color an issue. Those who oppose us being equal have made it an issue. The society and the laws that have been orchestrated in our society have made it an issue. Me being black is lovely. It's never been an issue for me. It's an issue for those who, who don't seek the same things that I seek and have made me a person that has had to care about color. But I only care about color because I want to be able to alleviate color being the mindset in which there is no equity or equality. And that's it. I want to live in a society where I'm not made to feel that because I'm black, I should have to have a say or a voice or an opinion or a synopsis of the things that are going on. I should be able to live as anybody else lives and be able to have the same safety and the same sanctions and the same rights and wrongs as everybody else equally. And until that day comes, I'm going to be here speaking. And that's how it is. All right. So uh, let's talk about it. Okay. People have made. This has been something that's been going on since elected officials has been a thing. It's pandering to ethnicities for votes right uh it started with the three-fifths clause that i discussed in one of my earlier podcasts in regards to counting black people as um votes um for slave owners who voted for specific people in the um in the south um in order to elect um congressional leaders this is something that's been happening now in our modern day. That is what ha that's what happens is that a politician. It doesn't matter who the politician is. It doesn't matter um, whether they are Republican, Democrat. It does not matter. Independent. It does not matter. These people, these people's um, political teams, their their publicists. Anybody that is associated with the political side of these people who are seeking election, the first thing, the first thing on their agenda, if not the, the, the most primary thing on their agenda, is pandering to the minorities, is pandering to the black communities, pandering to black people, pandering to anybody that is not white with money. Why? Because the minority makes up a majority of the votes because... The minority exists in abundance in regards to, in comparison to 
most white people who typically are people that vote often as opposed to minority groups who don't vote as often, right? So that is what happens more so than not. And because of that, it's there's a there's an underlying there's an underlying stigma that comes with voting for most minorities because and that's me included because it's it's not a it's not a a strategy that is seemingly for the sentiment of caring about the black community and caring about you know all these other communities with you know predominantly minority based um, minority based um, people it's not caring about the things that they care about it's not caring that I come from a community that is impoverished and poor and we need you know sustainability in regards to um, better housing um, better services for food and support um, welfare better services for our children better schools um, it doesn't it ultimately does not matter to elections, elected officials, people who are seeking election. It does not matter. Um, anybody that is a politician or a person that is that acquiesces to the the election, the 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 process of the election and the stipulations behind being elected. Anybody that tells me, oh, elect, uh, people that are in elections and people that are running, they actually care about our community and they care because they've came and visited one time and they walked through and they talked to people and shook hands and gave hugs and took pictures and gave autographs. If you are a person that really, truly thinks that these people care about your communities and care about finding upward mobility for you and finding funding and finding support and helping you with all of these things so that your life is made as good as theirs, you are sorely mistaken. It is part of the reason why I have shunned myself for so many years from voting. It's the reason why I care not the character of some of these people's facade. And I say that, the character of some of these people's facade. There is a reason why I say it that way. Because it's all a facade. I come on TV, I debate, I say everything that I'm going to do in regards to the general um, the general alliance of the people that are out in the world and the general um, concerns of most people. I cater to that need. I say everything that people want to hear. So people get all excited and get elated for the things that are to come. And then when these people are elected, what happens? Nothing. Communities are not made better. People's livelihoods are not made better. People do not have better opportunities. They're left in the nothingness that they were left in before the elections, before they voted. Feeling all of this, all of this excitement and feeling all of this um, 
hope that, hey, my vote is going to count this year because this person in a place of power said that he would come into our communities and bring change, that he was going to bring us better housing, that he was going to bring us better job opportunities, that he was going to bring us all of these things that he promised. He said it because he said it with such conviction in his speech and in his debates. Right? Pandering at its finest. It's actually... A, it's actually an election strategy. It's not because I care about the people that I'm talking to and that I'm pandering to. Seemingly, I only care because I want them to check that, that box for my name when it's time to vote. I care nothing about their community. I care nothing about their struggle and their challenges and their obstacles. I care nothing about their lack of opportunity. I care nothing about their children. I care nothing about their schools, their poverty. I care nothing about their race, their color. I care nothing about any of it. I just want them to vote for me. I just want to be in a position of power to where I can delegate my own interests and the things that I want to see as an elected official. I care nothing else. And I know that sounds pessimistic and that sounds extremely bleak in regards to voting and I don't want to turn anybody off of voting. I think everybody should vote. Um, under the circumstance that you know exactly who you're voting for and why you're voting for them and you do your research. I am wholeheartedly a person in that. If you don't know the candidates in which you're voting for and you're just voting for somebody who gave a, a, snazzy, spe a, a snazzy speech that their publicist wrote, then you're probably not a person that probably would be a conscious voter, would be more so somebody that is voting in regards to the conversation of a shepherd versus sheep and I don't think you can be sheep in the midst of voting for somebody who is going to either change for the better or change for the worse the livelihood in which the things that you benefit from um, in regards to the society that you live in and they be at the hand of it um, that's one thing that I've always hated. I've always hated the pandering part. I wish politicians would be real. I wish somebody would come out and tell me, hey, I don't care anything in which I'm saying. Somebody wrote this speech for me. I'm just saying it because I want you to vote for me. I want you to vote for me for these reasons because of this, that, and the other. It may, it may have something to do with something that you are interested in. It may have nothing to do with it. I don't really care. I want your vote so I can be a, so I can be positioned in a place of power to which I can do the things and delegate and dictate um, things that are within my realm and within my control. It has nothing to do with you and your communities. It has nothing to do with changing anything. It has everything to do with power and getting money. That's what it comes down to. Politics as a whole has always been something that I've had a deep disdain for. 
because it ultimately has nothing to do with people. It has nothing to do with humanity. It has nothing to do with your livelihood. It has nothing to do with bringing opportunities and bringing hope and bringing joy and bringing elation. It has nothing to do with um, making things better for people who live in our society. Politics benefits those in power only. But on the back end of that, there are things that you are obligated to do in a position of power that you have to withhold that may or may not benefit a group or a mass or the masses in which people are living under. And I'm generalizing, like I'm overly generalizing, but I don't care. That's okay. Um, and that's not to say that all politicians are quote unquote bad. And that's not to say that, but not all politicians tell the truth. Matter of fact, I don't think any politician tells the truth, the whole truth. I think there's seemingly spurts in time where they tell you things that they can divulge to you. But that's not necessarily telling the whole truth. And if you're not telling the whole truth, you're lying. So um, that's how I feel in regards to politics. That's my rant on that. But um, it, it has to do with how they pander to people. And my next brownie point is people really, really have to sit here and listen to the things that these politicians say. Right? Think about it. If I'm a politician and I work at the local level and I'm trying to be elected for a local position, how can I change, for instance, taxes? How can I change, for instance, the educational system? How can I change, for instance, more job opportunities if I myself only work as a local politician? It's the same for Congress. It's the same for the presidency. It doesn't matter what position you, you of power you are in. It, you know, whether you're the mayor, whether you're the governor, it does not matter what position of power you are in. Everything that you talk about in regards to the grand scheme of things that all of us are affected by. No single person, no single person can single handedly change those things for the gen the general consensus of our society. So that's lie number one that they're telling. I get up on the podium and I'm like, hey, we're gonna lower taxes and we are gonna get millions of jobs to people, right? Because that's how they'll come off. Like it's it's the grandeur of the things that they say that get people hyped up. It's a psychological thing. It's a psychological war. If I get into your mind and I get ingrained into your mind telling you something of this grand proportion, right, that is going to change. And I automatically stimulate your mind to think, hey, he said this with such conviction and he said it with such seemingly truthfulness to it. I have to believe it because he wouldn't say this on a public platform 
to millions of people in a speech if he could not deliver it? People really believe that these politicians can deliver on the things that they say that they can deliver on. And and I'll even take it a step further. Politicians will say hundreds, hundreds of things that they say they, they will deliver on. And if they deliver on one of those things, people are like, hey, well, he delivered on this promise. It doesn't matter that he lied about the hundred other policies and um, acts and actions that he was going to take place and promise that he was going to do, but didn't. But because he delivered on this one thing, I'm rolling with him or her. Right. And that that's my point. People have to be a lot more mindful of the pandering and you have to be a lot more conscious of what's being told to you because it's all in the grand scheme of their strategy. It's all in the grand scheme of being elected. It's all in this grand scheme of power and money. If I have power, I can say things that are going to get the mass majority of people to believe me. If I have millions upon millions of dollars and money and resources, I can say things that are going to get people to believe what it is that I'm saying, regardless of the promise um, that I am not going to keep at the end of it all. It doesn't matter at that point. I've done my job. I've got you to click on this vote for me. I've got you to check mark my name. So I only talk about this just because we have elections coming up and we have a lot of people who, you know, pander to all of the media about Trump and his presidency. And we have a lot of people, you know, who are pandering um, for the, the, the media and the support of Joe Biden as president and in his presidency and just all of the politicians in between that for people that are voted for governor and and congress and and mayors and everything else in between all the voted um politi uh, politicians who will seemingly you know come into play once all of these elections have taken place at the local and you know the higher up levels in regards to the presidency and congress right so what does this all mean what what does it mean to me as a, a black man in America? What does it mean to the minority groups in America? What does it mean to white people in America? What does it all mean? I can tell you from my perspective that these things, regardless of if it's Biden, regardless of if it's Trump, it does not matter. Nobody is going to care in regards to the sensibilities of the things that you care about in regards to politics. Politics is a generalization of things that the people in power believe the masses to, to want and to believe in and the things that they think is important. It has nothing to do with the general opinion of people that live in it. It has to do with the people in power believing 
that these people want this or need this or should have this. It matters not anything to the politician because the politician is in a place of what? Power. And they're in a place where they have access to what? Resources, money, the people. They are sitting at tables with other people of power and money and resources. And they are deciding your future, your fate. They are making decisions for what you should think to be important. Even if it is important to you and even if it's not, doesn't matter. It's subject matterless in that, at that point. Because the people that are privy to the power are not divulging any information. They're just telling you what you should feel, what you should feel in, that you should feel empowered because you voted for somebody that was seemingly, quote unquote, right for the position. Doesn't necessarily mean that they were. What does this mean for black people, though? Let me tell you. It means going another four years for the presidency, another two for any of the other, you know, positions. It means going with a voice that has been seemingly loud throughout this whole Trump presidency in regards to police brutality, in regards to black people being killed just based on race. Black people being killed just based on the protests and Black Lives Matter. Black people being killed just for the simplicity of color and skin. It, it tells me the same things are going to happen, whether it be Trump, whether it be Biden. It tells me none of these things are going to get done unless we continue to keep protesting, unless we continue to keep telling people about our struggles, our fears. We continue walking in the streets. We continue to um, go to local um, local level politicians and tell us of tell them of our struggles and our challenges and what we want to see, what we want to see in our laws and amendments to how the justice system has um, demonized black people and placed them in jail with seemingly no point of reference in regards to the um, in regards to given fairness in trials and in convictions. We want to see change and we won't see change because of the elections. And I think people are under that under that umbrella thinking that once whoever is elected, that we're going to see change. We're not going to see change because we have not seen change. We're doing the same protesting and the same, you know, outcry of things that were happening 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 400 years ago. It's the same stuff. Same thing happening. 
new day. So when somebody tells me that I should vote, my first my first thought and the rationale in which I think is vote because somebody is pandering to me to vote or vote because I'm supposed to feel good and excited that these politicians are lying about the things that they cannot promise and single-handedly achieve or vote because um, it's my duty as an American person, even though my duty as an American person, as a black person, is to live an equal and equitable life as other people, and yet that opportunity has not been given to me, nor other black people in my position. And I'm supposed to sit here and vote because some omnipotent, white person that is in power with all of the money and all of the resources is telling me something that I'm supposed to sit here and listen to as sheep and follow as sheep and blindly turn an eye to the things that have been going on for years despite politics? You tell me. Um, And that's just the basis in which I think um, everybody's going to have their opinion in regards to voting, but that's, that's my rationale for it. Um, seemingly summed up. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the greater of good. It's the greater of two evils, right? If you don't vote, you have no say. If you do vote, does your say and does your voice matter? And that's ultimately the, the philosophy that is intrinsic to the to the the to the progress and to the process of voting does my vote matter even if i vote and if i don't vote did it matter if i voted or did it matter if i didn't vote and should it matter it's subjective it's subjective to most people and However you feel about it is however you feel about it. You cannot, you can disagree with me wholeheartedly and it not matter to me in regards to that because it's my opinion on it. But um, definitely not an equal nor a an updated voting system. It It, it just... Everything about it is shady. And politics and politicians, they fall suit to that, to that shadiness. But, you know, it is what it is at that point. But um, I think in regards to this, you have to diversify your thoughts and you have to you have to choose and decide what's your greater good and what's your interest and you have to decide if there is a person out there regardless of politician regardless of the things that they lie about or the things that you know they pander to you you have to see if those things even remotely align to your sentiments and the things that you believe in 
I come from a community of predominantly black people that I grew up around. And those neighborhoods never changed. Even now, I haven't lived in those neighborhoods for about 15 years. And if I go and drive past my old neighborhood, neighborhoods have not changed. The people have, but the neighborhood as a whole has not changed. And I'm talking about almost 15 years. That's more than enough elected politicians locally and at the state level to have changed some of those things. There's still drugs in the community. There's still shootings in the, the community. There's still people dying in the community. There's still people suffering. There's still, pover there's still poverty. There's still people impoverished. There's still people homeless. Nothing has changed. And yet there's all of these people who have pandered and said these same things for the votes. will lessen homelessness. There will be no homeless people on the streets. There will be nobody starving. We will have affordable homing, or we'll have affordable homes and affordable housing for all. We will have resources for people to, to feed their families. And there's still despair. And yet there is still despair. I know that this podcast is going to come off as me being more or less anti-political, whatever you want to call it. Um, and some people may even go as far as to say that anti-American. I don't care. <laughs> um, but that's what I believe. I believe that you can't voice your opinion or voice yourself on something that you cannot deliver. And that has always been my take. And politicians do it seamlessly like it's breathless, like it's something that is as easy as breathing to lie to a general public about something that they cannot withhold, that they have no power of achieving. And yet they say it because they know that it will pander to the sensibilities of people who are struggling, for people who need hope, for people who are trying to cope with their situation, for people who are living in a life that is not that is not the life that they chose for themselves or wanted to live in, for people who are struggling, for people who are seemingly um, turned away because of obstacles. They're pandering to those people because those people have nothing else to look forward to except the things that a politician can promise to better their lives. I don't blame people for thinking that. And let me let me be let me be clear on that. Whether you're the shepherd or whether you're the sheep, I don't blame you for your stance. I just want you to be informed. When you make that stance, I want you to understand your importance in that stance. Whether you're a follower or whether you're somebody who leads 
and critically thinks for yourself. It doesn't matter. You still have to be able to have a rationale that aligns with why you think that way and why you've chose to follow in in that path. So like I said, I don't fault anybody for their walk of life in regards to all of these things, voting and politicians and everything of that nature. I don't fault you for whoever you pick. I don't ultimately care. Republican or Democrat matters none to me. They all do the same things. The bigger question in all of it is, what lies are you okay with being told? What promises are you okay with being broken? As black people, what things are you okay with going without? Because as black people and in the black community, we go without a lot. There's a lot of things we go without. And that's made purposeful. And that's by design because of systemic oppression, systemic racism, and everything else in between that has ultimately elected people to excel in a system that has never been gracious to black people. So, like I said, questions like that you have to ask yourself. What are you okay with going without? And what lies are you okay being told to you? And what promises are you um, okay with being broken? And what things are you willing to go without? Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like, when I think of politics and I think of politicians, what do you think is the greater good? What do you think is going to matter in the grand scheme of all of these things that are being told to you? And how are you going to cope in that life and in that livelihood of these things being pressed upon you? And I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, honestly, like I said, is I, I wish I wish I lived in a society where people had the integrity to tell you the truth, even if it hurt me, even if it pained me, even if it was um, agonizing to my spirit and my soul and to my existence. I want I would want that truth. I would want somebody to tell me the real. I would want people to be honest with me. And that's pointed at that's pointed at people that are in power. I would want people in power to tell me I care nothing about you nor your life nor your existence, nor your community. I only care because I can get a vote from you. You are a number in the grand scheme of my strategy and the grand scheme of my success. You are a check mark in the grand scheme of the power that I want to have. I want people to be real like that. Nobody will be, of course. Because they're too busy trying to pander 
to people that they think are going to vote for them or for people who think that are going to match up to their sentiments because of the things that they are saying that may be grandeur in their speech, but have nothing to do with the livelihood of real people. And like I said, I sound like a pessimist in regards to all of this, but it's my vantage point because I'm the type of person I'm going to, I'm going to look at things that like look at things for what they are and I'm going to find the inner, the, the underlining cause of it. I can't look at politics and politicians and not see bullshit every time they talk. And not feel the BS that they're saying and doing. And then when they get into these positions, see all of the BS that's happening. And see it unfold. And then see the hope be drained from all of these people who voted. And see the opinion and the, the paradigm shift from the people that voted as opposed to the people that that didn't vote and then see all of these people come into consensus that hey maybe we shouldn't have voted for this guy that's what's happening with trump right now right all these people that voted for trump and was like oh let's vote for him he'll be a good president and now they're seeing the shitty job that he's doing and now people are kind of like mm. now they're backstepping right well at least some of them some of them are backstepping Huh? And that's how it works. That's how politics is. Um, for those that didn't know it, now you know. Um, but for those who are listening out there, hold true to your convictions. Hold true to your hope. Don't let your hope be contingent upon the promises of people who can't, who can't abide by the things that you believe in. Hold true to the things that matter to you, whether it be your family, your friends, um, your spirituality. Black people, hold strong. Hold to your convictions. Whatever pain and agony you're feeling, let it feel you. You will need it. And just know that as a black person, you are needed. You are the backbone. You are the mantle. You are the fixture of our society, of our culture, American culture. You are that. You are the beauty. You are the aesthetic of that. You embody what we are as America. Know that. Have pride in that. Don't let anybody dilute that for you. And that goes for anybody else that lives here in America and has just felt weary about being here because they're not white and they're not of the same race as the people that have created and founded all of the laws and all of the rules and everything else in between. Know that you are the backbone of America not those who created the system. And at any point in time, 
if you choose to stand up and you choose to fight, all of those things will shift and you'll see something different. So that's my speech for today. I'm on, I'm on my soapbox tip today, so it is what it is. But um, I love everybody and I pray that people do not lose hope um, in regards to these elections, in regards to the fight that's going on right now, just in regards to um, race and, you know, police brutality. Everybody, I want everybody to hold strong to to their convictions and to what's right. Got a lot of people who believe in everything that's wrong. I want people to hold true to the things that are right. Don't let anybody make you feel like you are not on the that you're not on the side of history and that you're not on the side of the things that are just and right. You are. Don't let anybody make you feel like you're not. Because you're going to have people that oppose you. You're going to have people who are going to aggravate you and antagonize you to make you believe that the things that you believe in are not correct. Don't let it happen. There's a reason why you believe in what you believe in. And it's not because not because of things that just happen. It's your own testament and your own experience to the things that are happening and going on right now. Hold true to that. That is going to be your, your focal point of hope. It's always going to be peace and love with me. But like I said before, it, it, it's we're, we're in a fight right now and we have to win. And we have to make change. And we have to alter the world and alter the history that has been made for us. And we have to make things better. And not only make things better, we have to ratify the things that were that were made wrong. The origin of things in which they were bad and make them good. And we can do it. If we unify and if we believe. And that's it. You know the name, Terrence Brown, and these are the brownie points.